0: Hello and welcome to A Glimpse Into The Future. My name is Rigas Hadzilakos and in this podcast series we explore with some of the world's leading experts how new technologies and ideas can help us shape our future. In this week's episode, I talk to Dr. Bhaskar Chakravorty, Senior Associate Dean at Tufts University. Dr. Chakravorty is also a member of the World Economic Forum's Council on the Future of Innovation and Entrepreneurship. So Bhaskar recently did a very interesting research. Uh, You were involved in a very interesting research around the digital evolution around the globe. Where do we stand globally in terms of digital integration, and what were the key findings of of that research? Uh,
1: So long-winded response to your question, there are kind of many different vectors of this work, and of course there are kind of many uh, interesting patterns in terms of digital integration and uh, uh, digital evolution that we, uh, learned, uh, about. Now, as we know, uh, in terms of the physical economy, things, uh, particularly since the 2008 collapse, uh, you know, things have been slowing down. The, you know, in fact, globalization in its, in the form, uh, in which we think about it, uh, is itself in retreat. In fact, it's all, it's become a bad word in, 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 in many quarters. Uh, but, in reality, also it's in retreat. The free flow of trades in goods and services and cross-border capital, uh, you know, the primary drivers of uh, globalization, have uh, declined since the Great Recession. And uh, you know, many folks have uh, have sort of talked about this. Uh, on the other hand, uh, the free flow of people, the kind of the other side of the physical part of uh, uh, global uh, economy. In many ways, it's, uh, you know, walls have come up uh, or concerns about uh, this free flow have have come up. And at the same time, we are uh, living uh, at an age where there are uh, more people displaced on this planet and involuntarily displaced than they have ever been before. Now, in light of all that, basically the decline of physical globalization, virtual globalization or digital uh, integration, has continued to rise and it's become far more central to our global economy. Uh cross-border flows of technology, of ideas, news, entertainment and data have grown many, many times and now they account for more than a third of the increase of uh, global GDP uh and, uh and 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 continue to rise. You know, uh, many people are calling this the fourth channel of globalization and so on.
0: That's a, a very interesting point there. Uh, the digital integration in the global scale the same, at the same time that we are fracturing uh, in the physical world. So I'm wondering what were the, the biggest surprises for you while you were doing in this research uh, in, in any of the points that you uh, you outlined before?
1: So uh, there were uh, uh, I would say uh, you know several surprises. Uh, so perhaps surprise number one, and this is something that we have been uh, seeing you know, continue to be reinforced over the years as we've been doing the study, uh, you know, over several years. And uh, this is uh, our second iteration of uh, essentially creating a digital evolution index. And uh, the idea of the index is to take a very complicated phenomenon, which is how are we evolving as a society from a physical past to a digital future and try and capture that in one number. And, of course, the important thing is not the number, but really trying to understand what are the underlying drivers. So what we try to do is we try to look at uh, both where countries are in terms of their current state of digital evolution, which is captured by our digital evolution index. And the second dimension uh, that we look at is the momentum. How quickly are countries uh, making that transition? So both the state and the rate of digital evolution. Now, you put these two elements together, and a whole bunch of interesting patterns pop out. One really important and interesting pattern, which uh, will be you know quite close to all of you at the World Economic Forum right now, is uh, when I look at where the major European countries are, uh, they are in what I would call the stall-out zone. So essentially, uh, just to kind of back up for a bit, uh, we studied 60 different countries, and uh, uh, through this uh, uh, assessment of State and rate of digital evolution, we created four different zones of uh, of where these countries sit. The countries that are in the standout zone are ones that are very high in terms of their state of evolution, but also very high in terms of their momentum or their rate. The countries that are in the stallout zone are ones that are very high in their state, uh, but they are slowing down in terms of momentum, and many, in fact, are going backwards. Then there are countries that are in the breakout zone, and these are potentially the ones that are really interesting and exciting for investors and entrepreneurs or people who are trying to arbitrage, you know, uh, across regions. And uh, these are countries that haven't uh, reached their potential. Their date is still, uh, you know, below uh, where uh, the rest of the world is, uh, but they are moving very, very fast, high-momentum countries. And then the final category, the watch-out zone that are low in state and low in rate. So coming back to Europe, what we found is virtually all the major European nations are in the stall-out zone. These are the countries that were the early movers in terms of adopting digital technology, adopting mobile technologies, and integrating that in uh, in people's lives, and they have sort of reached a plateau. So, if you think about countries like Sweden, like Norway, like Finland, like Switzerland, like the Netherlands, Ireland, Belgium, Austria, Germany, these are countries that are stalling up, and which is uh, to many people this would come as a bit of a surprise, because most of us think about Europe and particularly the Scandinavian countries as kind of being the uh, the, the the leading edge of the digital revolution. Turns out they're not. Now, on the other hand, which are the countries that are clearly in the standout zone, the ones that are not only highly evolved uh, but moving very fast? Well, three countries stand out for me, Singapore, New Zealand, the UAE. Singapore, New Zealand, the UAE, all three are tiny countries. All three have very special characteristics. All three have a very powerful role that the state plays in uh, shepherding and stewarding the economy. So some interesting patterns are popping out right there. Now, in the breakout zone, we find that there is a, a mix of very interesting countries in there. These are countries uh, that are either in Southeast Asia, so many, many of the ASEAN countries are in this zone. Uh, countries like uh, the Philippines, like Indonesia, are in this zone, and Malaysia, uh, and the fastest-moving country The one uh, that leads in terms of digital momentum, and this should come as no surprise, is, of course, China. So these patterns are, at a global level, really interesting because the momentum has moved to Asia. The European uh, early momentum has stalled. Uh, There are uh, some countries that are almost bridging the fast-moving space and the stall-out space, and this country is also really, really important, given what's going on these days, and that country is the United Kingdom, which happens to be in a very interesting position. It's the most significant uh, digital player in Europe right now, and of course, as we know, the UK is going through a process of exiting the European Union. Now, in the, in the context of that exit, a lot has been said about how the UK economy has become a laggard Uh, It has become the worst-performing advanced uh, uh, economy in the world. Its currency has fallen. All kinds of bad things are projected as we go ahead. However, UK's digital economy, at least up to this point, has been a rock star. So an implication of Brexit uh, is that it will have a profound impact on the UK's digital standing, but also it could have a profound effect on the EU's digital standing. Uh, which, by the way, is, uh, is on, on somewhat shaky ground. But let me point out one more pattern that I thought was really interesting. Among the high-momentum countries, we also saw that there were countries that have some shared characteristics as in a very powerful state investing in digital technology, not just for the well-being of its citizens, uh, but potentially to, you know, exert power over, uh, over the economy and over the society. So, countries that are in this high momentum space are Saudi Arabia, Russia, uh, Turkey, and uh, I think there are some uh, interesting connections as we look across you know those countries and uh, why they have uh, proven to be such uh, you know fast moving players in the digital space.
0: So looking into the future, thank you for painting this very very descriptive and uh, very interesting picture of, of the global situation right now. It seems. Very, very interesting that the state-driven innovation in the digital space is the biggest factor you have identified in terms of uh, winners and losers at this point. So what, what do you expect in the next five to ten years there? Uh, do you expect that countries and states that do not put a big program behind it and leave it all to, to the private sector, will fall behind in this uh, in this race, if you want?
1: I think in terms of uh, keeping the digital momentum going and even accelerating it without a strong and a visionary state uh, behind it, uh, you're going to lose. So I, I uh, completely agree uh, the role of the state is paramount. I also think that uh, as we look ahead uh, and we imagine where are the role models for, uh, shall we say, digitally-enabled smart societies, uh, those role models may not be in uh, what we consider to be the traditional role models for the world. So the traditional role models for the world were, of course, the United States uh, and uh, many of the Western European countries or the Scandinavian countries, I would say as we look ahead, we should take a very close look at role models that are almost countries that we never think of on a day-to-day basis. One example of such a country might be Estonia, a tiny country with uh, a forward-looking progressive uh, state uh, that has used uh, uh, the kind of the post-Soviet era of rebuilding as an opportunity to essentially leapfrog. Over its uh, its its gaps in its uh, overarching uh, social services and infrastructure and so on, and essentially use digital technology as a way to leap ahead uh, and and create a smart society. Another uh, country that could be a very interesting role model is a country again that we don't think of a whole lot because it is very much at the periphery uh, of uh, of the world. Uh, and this country is New Zealand. You know, uh, it is uh, geographically removed. Its global connectedness, in a physical sense, is low, and uh, the government has gone into high gear to use digital technology as a way to create this uh, very high-performing digital ecosystem that brings together government services and uh, private enterprise, and uh, trying to bring in talent uh, from uh, from other parts of the world into New Zealand so that they can create a digital hub despite the the, the physical distance of the country. So I would say uh, the future uh, might be seen through the lens of some almost counterintuitive countries, small countries uh, where the governments have uh, played a a visionary role. Now, uh, these countries, uh, one distinctive uh, aspect of an Estonia or a New Zealand is that in addition to activist governments uh in addition to governments that are uh, leveraging uh, technology to provide a truly 21st century set of services to its citizens one other aspect uh that is important to keep in mind uh in these countries is that they have democratically elected governments so we have uh, countries like Singapore or the UAE you know where you don't have the the classic models of democracy in, in, in play. Uh, however, uh, uh, there uh, we have governments that are uh, extremely forward-looking and uh, uh, under a different political system also uh, evolving towards uh, a digitally hyperactive uh, vision of, uh, of life. So as, as I look ahead, I, I think uh, it's important to consider these very small countries with uh, forward-looking governments as role models and then trying to figure out how to. Uh, those policies and some of the choices that have been made in the small economies translate into larger, more complex economies. Whether those complex economies are, um, you know, in Western Europe or North uh, North America, another direction that I would look is uh, countries emerging world, and in particular countries like China, where. You have, uh, again, a very active government, uh, but an active government uh, looking at uh, a a large complex uh, system and the government working in a highly coordinated way with the private sector. And uh, there are lots of interesting directions that China has taken, particularly uh, in the areas of uh, cashless, contactless uh, payments, which suddenly catalyzes a whole bunch of digital activity that uh, wouldn't have existed in a cash-intensive society. The government of China is the largest uh, investor in uh, artificial intelligence uh, which uh, uh, points the way towards uh, some transformations that the digital uh, technology is going to make in our lives. So lots of interesting uh, patterns that China is demonstrating which I'm sure will percolate uh, into other parts of the world, particularly other parts of the developing world. So as I look ahead, I see many of these different forms of role models uh, pointing the way for the rest of us. Uh, in terms of individual trends, of course, uh, the biggest uh, uh, set of questions uh, that are on everybody's minds these days is how does the incursion of technology change the future of work for most of us, whether uh, there is less work for human beings as technology uh, becomes a, a stronger substitute. And the big question is... Is digital technology going to be a substitute or is it going to be a complement? Is it going to make us more productive uh, by being a assistive element, either because automation uh, works by, side by side uh, along with human workers uh, or whether data analytics helps us uh, uh, become more uh, targeted and more focused in terms of the, uh, the work that we do as human beings. I could argue that uh, the uh, directionality between, you know, in terms of whether this is going to be a substitute or a complement could be both ways. And uh, eventually my projection is that there are many areas of work where technology will indeed displace human labor and uh, there are other areas of work where technology will be a complement to human, uh, human activity and uh, uh, end up, uh, you know, making uh, those activities a lot more productive.
0: So you mentioned a lot of the opportunities and the, and the risks that may come with the digitalization of our economy and our society, I'm wondering what should different stakeholders do right now and focus on right now in this digital transition to take the opportunities and use the opportunities that are there uh, and safeguard against the risks that you mentioned? What would you suggest to businesses? What do you suggest to governments the civil society to focus on right now?
1: So, uh, obviously, uh, a really uh, important uh, uh, question, and uh, I think the answer to that question, I would have to break it down into these stakeholder groups, uh, depending on where they are in the world, because the response, uh, you know, varies, uh, you know. Uh, depending on whether you're in an advanced country, whether you're in a developing country, and also uh, there are some, uh, some questions that are almost universal, regardless of where you are. I think the universal part of this is uh, that I do believe that uh, government uh, should be a major player in uh, moving us forward in, as a digital society. Uh, there's no question about uh, the role of government as an investor in uh, some of these highly capitally intensive supply-side infrastructure projects uh, that are critical uh, to a digital system. I also think the role of government in enabling uh, regulations and laws uh, and uh, uh, intellectual property protections, protections uh, in terms of privacy, in terms of uh, safeguarding data, uh, these are the kinds of things that only governments uh, can do. There are many ways in which governments can be the force multiplier in terms of scaling up uh, certain digital services. So there are uh, uh, this clearly a role for government uh, to have a forward-looking view, to have a vision uh, for uh, you know a 10, 20, uh, 25, uh, 50-year outlook on uh, what a, a smart society, a digitally enabled society ought to be. And those smart societies don't necessarily have to involve flying cars and street streetlights that talk to each other. You know, these are governments that should realise that uh, uh, digital technology is uh, a lever for uh, well-being of its citizens and uh, that is just universal no matter where you are uh, in terms of uh, uh, the private sector i think it's uh, it's significant uh, to reflect on the fact that the largest companies in the world now are digital companies so uh, you know the five biggest uh, most valuable companies in the world are are all digital this is the first time uh, ever uh, that we have uh, sort of experienced this this kind of uh, dominance of uh, the digital system. So when I look at the large digital players, whether it's the Googles or the Facebooks or the Amazons or the Microsofts, this is an enormous uh, opportunity and an enormous responsibility uh, that all these companies have, simply because of the tremendous capability to do good and uh, potentially uh, the capability for uh, uh, multiplying uh, the bads or the risks. And we are living through some of this right now. So all these questions about, you know, should Facebook have vetted who's buying ads on, on Facebook? Or, you know, how is uh, Google protecting privacy of, uh, of users? Is Google using its market power inordinately in, in promoting its, uh, its own sites versus uh, competing sites? So these are all, you know, big, big questions uh, that the major digital players will have to, uh, will have to address and, by the way, some, sometimes they will have to address that. In fact, a lot of the time they will have to address that in collaboration with policymakers and regulators and not necessarily get into a confrontational mode as seems to have been the case of late. I think there is an enormous opportunity for uh, the entrepreneurial section of the private sector uh, because, you know, there are lots of problems in the world to be solved. And digital technology has proven to be a a very powerful way uh, to uh, solve a problem uh, and uh, scale it up and distribute it to uh, uh, the the, the people who can benefit from it most. To my mind, uh, a big part of the role that the entrepreneurial sector uh, should be considering, and here I include both the entrepreneurs and the sector that funds them, including uh, angel communities, uh, venture communities, private equity government investors to think about problems that are important as opposed to problems that uh you know give you a pop in in the short term and unfortunately uh, we've now got a, a plethora of unicorns which uh you know have got tons of venture capital funding uh and and many of them are they've been bottlenecked in terms of their ability to exit and uh, uh i think it's pointing to a, a significant problem which is that money and venture talent has been going into solving problems which may not necessarily be the most significant problems that we face, either as individual countries or as a global society. So how do we turn to the problems that are truly significant, and how do we make sure that the solution to those problems also generates the market returns or the superior returns that investors are looking for? And we know that there's no shortage of problems. We have problems on the climate front. Uh, we have problems of development. We have uh, problems of uh, inclusion of uh, various societies. So uh, there's no shortage of, uh, of issues to be addressed. And in many cases, here again, we need uh, uh, a connection, a coordination between the small players and the big digital players. Uh, we need a connection between these small players and policy makers to the extent that Venture capital will not invest in a company that is trying to uh, do uh, water uh, renewal and water conservation because the market returns aren't high enough. You know, is there an opportunity for other kinds of investors, potentially uh, with an underwriting by government uh, uh, investors or underwriting by the Googles and the Facebooks and the Microsofts of the world? So those are some of the areas that I think uh, will benefit from a coordination across the different stakeholders. The question of how do we deal with uh, the connection between digital technology and human work? Uh, uh, this is uh, something that uh, you know, all these stakeholders need to watch very, very carefully, uh, continue to understand uh, the fine balance between substitution and complementarity and recognize that uh, their actions have consequences, not just economic consequences but political consequences. And uh, let's work together to figure out that the political outcomes of uh, uh, veering too far in one direction uh, doesn't lead to the rise of uh, unproductive uh, policies and unproductive political leaders.
0: That was Dr. Baskar Chakarvorti, Senior Associate Dean at Tufts University. My name is Riga Satsilakos, and that was all from this week's episode of A Glimpse into the Future.